All right. So, Miss Ashley. Yes. We're back on another episode. We're back. We're back. What's the thing that you like the most about the idea of our outside? Really? Okay. What I love the most about our outside, I think it, I could layer that a little bit. So from a personal standpoint, um, it is a joy to create something with my husband. Like we have fun, you know, um, Maybe we'll drop a couple of bloopers or something one day, like <laughs> or the outtakes or when we're just being silly. Um, but it's it's fun, you know. We're we'll we're building this business. Um, we're building MOA, we're building this life and this legacy while our children sleep, you know. We're exhausted, <laughs> but we get it done um because it matters to us. So I would say on a personal note, just knowing that our kids will be able to to, to listen to this auditory legacy that their parents are producing together would be number one. Obviously, on an outward sense, I am excited to bring these conversations forward. I stand on the fact that we are in a very momentous time in history and you have to make your point of view, your perspective, your stand, your mission those things, you have to bring those things forward. Um, and you know, I know I've shared in, on, in other episodes, but we care very much so in this household about honoring the call that is upon our lives. And we truly believe that we are called to push the conversation about conservation and inclusion forward. So, you know, that's what keeps us going. What do you like about it? It's the Our Outside Podcast from the Minority Outdoor Alliance. I'm Ashley Smith. And I'm Darrell Smith. What is the Our Outside Podcast? What do we value as individuals? And what do we value as an organization? We ask ourselves that as your host and the founders of the nonprofit, the Minority Outdoor Alliance. We actually ask ourselves a number of key questions that we think may give our growing audience context and clarity on what it means to bring the unlikely to the outdoors, while simultaneously defining what the active sporting outdoors is. Throughout the episodes, we hope to give you a glimpse into our future plans and initiatives to continue creating conversations that will lead to more diversity, equity, and inclusion in the active outdoors and encourage more communities of color to participate in the conversation of land and water conservation. So join us. Welcome back to another episode of the Our Outside Podcast with your host, Darrell Smith, and my beautiful wife. I'll let you introduce yourself. No, you know my name. Tell them my name. <laughs> Ashley. Um, <laughs> so, this week, we are uh, connecting through diversity 
with Diana Prestigiacomo of the South Carolina Department of Natural Resources. And before we dive into that, I had a couple of things because, of course, we have a lot of things going on in the world um, of Minority Outdoor Alliance and, 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 and our partnerships and things like that. But anyway, I want to do that and then get a little bit of your outdoor experience that you just had with me recently because, <laughs> you know, that's what this is about. So the first thing is um, for the Georgia River Network, for the folks that are in Georgia and, and have an opportunity to kind of get out from 5 to 7 p.m. on March First, it is a Fat Tuesday celebration in Atlanta. Um, join us for the Georgia River Guide app launch party. Um, it'll be at Conklin Farms in Atlanta and celebrate Mardi Gras and the release of the Georgia River Guide mobile app for the Georgia River Network. Um, it's been years in the making, and the Georgia River Guide app is the best way to plan your next kayak, canoe, or SUP adventure on one of Georgia's 30 plus unique water trails. So now, Miss Ashley, I wanted to, to, to put that one out there because we'll definitely be there. Um, we'll definitely be at this launch party. But yeah. uh, let's talk about your launch party. Oh, my Woodcock goodness. launch party. You guys, my husband is so excited about this. Um, I, I am too, but I believe he's more excited than, than me. So do you want to tell the story? Nope. Want it from your perspective. It's called Hunter, uh, uh, what is it, R3. I, I did my job as a husband for R3. Uh -uh, boy, bye. Okay. So we uh, we went out one day. We were kid-free. <clears throat> and uh, to all the parents out there, you know, kid-free days. We love our children so, so much. But obviously kid-free days are nice um, when you can spend time together. And so we had one of those days. It was actually unplanned. I don't even think, I think the grandparents, my parents, like, they just came and, like, were like, we're taking the kids. We were like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> see you later. Um, and so we were like, oh man, let's let's get let's get. I, I wanted to get a hike in, and he wanted to hunt, of course. Um, and luckily, uh, for the couples out there, it is something that you can do at the same time. So if there are any couples out there, I get a lot of questions from women, particularly. Sorry, small tangent here about like, what do you do because you don't actually hunt? Well. A lot of walking is involved in hunting, i.e. producing exercise and a hike and um, just really great, meaningful time in nature with your spouse. Um, and you put on a lot of miles uh, walking together. So it's something that we have grown to enjoy over the years together. But anyway, so we decided to have one of those days and um, we had Rose, correct? Mm -hmm. Rose and who else did we have that? We took drip, but we didn't run it. No, we didn't run drip. I just was trying to remember who. Rose is our setter, um, our girl setter. Um, drip is our drippy, drippy. little boy pointer. Drippy, drippy. Yep. Yes. Uh, so we got out and we walked and walked and walked and walked and walked. And um, I'm twirling around and enjoying the sunshine in my typical fashion. And Darrell's like in his zone, in his space with Rose. And um, we crossed over some water. We went through some pretty mm. tough woods. And the goal was to find Woodcock. Um, it was her first wild Woodcock. Um, you know, in the season's in, they migrate. 
Um, and basically, it was that time of year for Georgia, just for context also. Um, you had never seen one before. No, I had not. And so we, we were in this thicket. Is that? Yeah, it was, it was definitely a thicket of mm-hmm. brush and thorns. And I didn't have any chaps. So I actually stayed more so on the perimeter of the thicket because I'm sure all of you know about getting caught up in thorns if you don't have the right uh the right attire on it's not a pleasant experience so I was actually had a cool vantage point because I got to see it happen from the outside whereas you were just like in it Mm -hmm. so of course anybody that's ever gone out with Darrell if you've ever hunted with Darrell he likes to be in the grit so (laughs) if it's thick and it's thorny and it's muddy and it's and it's just all of the elements coming together you can find my husband and his dogs in the mix of it so he of course he and rose go right into this literally like i don't even know that the perimeter of that thing i wish i had a better sense on to to explain to y'all how large this round thicket area was but anyway so they go in and he's like he's like gives me his um what's the thing Tells, oh my uh, he, my uh, tracking collar. Yeah, so he gives me the tracking thing, the transmitter. Yeah, yeah, and he's like, "She's on point," and I'm like, "Oh yay!" Like, all right, <laughs> <laughs> congratulations. I'm so Good excited. Job. Good job. <laughs> and so he's like, "I gotta go." He's got, got. He's like, "Hold this," and he like disappears for a second, and then I happen to be at the right vantage point, where vantage point to see the point. Um, she's pointing. And um, the bird comes up, and we had our moment. Mm-hmm. You still didn't hear the little beep, 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 beep. You still didn't hear that, though. Well, I'm going to tell the audience something right now. So Darrell really likes sound effects. Like, he really enjoys how <laughs> birds and nature and stuff sound. So it's not really... So if you want them to... If you want to talk about the beep, beep, beep... I mean, but that's like a thing for Woodcock, though. Yeah, but you tell them. That part. You just want me to beep beep on the on the <laughs> bro, you're not about to get me. No, come on. Exactly. I want you to It's know. actually he, a really cool sound. He lives though. for these moments. But yes, the sound did happen, which I knew how it sounded because my husband has told me <laughs> several <laughs> times before that moment how it sounds. So we have this joke that like he practices these sounds. Which I think all of, of hunters do I think you guys enjoy the sounds that nature makes but um anyway and so it was a really beautiful moment and we had like a really great day the weather was awesome and I got to see my first woodcock mm-hmm. with my husband so it was cool mm-hmm. so that was one of you know our you know I guess recent highlights as far as being out in the field but the other thing is, we will be at Pheasant Fest. Yes. So if any of you party people will be at Pheasant Fest, please come say hello. We're so excited to join the mix. Yep. We'll be at the public land stage and the path to the upland stage. So come check us out. It'll be a very, very, very good time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Darrell's going to be doing some panels. Mm-hmm. So come, come check us out for sure. Cool. Um, and you know, last thing is that we got featured in the Southern Environ Law, Southern Environmental Law Center, uh, Voices for Clean Water Initiative. Um, and you can just find more on that. Um, yeah, please check that out. Um, obviously, you know, I don't think, um, 
people, I know people know how important clean water is, but that's also a, a conversation we want to, to push forward um, because we have to think about the people who don't have access to clean water and how that negatively impacts their lives and their children's lives. So it is an issue, obviously as parents, um, but just people, right? I think we have to we have to consider the humanity of the issue outside of parenthood, outside of race. It really is, that is a bare bones necessity. And you know, how we can do our part to continue to push things forward to ensure that all people have access to clean water. Yep, 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 yep. Um, and just in summation of, of what the whole thing is about, you know, um, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency proposed to undo the harmful Trump administration rule that removed federal Clean Water Act protections for countless crucial waterways and wetlands um, and opening the doors to pollution and destruction by industry mining mining and development. So that's what we are working to kind of fix. Um, and you can go check more out in our beautiful picture on the website um, at southernenvironment.org uh, backslash news backslash voices for clean water. Um, you can check that out. And so, Miss Ashley, the episode, are you excited about this one? I, I really am. Um, it, I think it was a great one. Yeah. It really was. I uh, I just honestly enjoyed talking to her. She's a she's a she's a fun person, and it seems like um, her husband is a, is a climber. So I think we have some some things in common there. So it was just fun getting to know her. Yep. So with Diana on this uh, on this episode, of course, with the South Carolina DNR. Um, it's interesting that we can kind of hedge this conversation with her and, and about South Carolina DNR around the third pillar of conservation. And what that means is, um, you know, conservation allocation of wildlife by law. That's that third one where it says wildlife is a public resource managed by government. As a result, access to wildlife for hunting is through legal mechanisms such as set hunting seasons, bag limits, license requirements, etc. So that's kind of what we're using this episode to kind of, you know. Yeah, so to discuss and for people to understand the importance of the DNR and, um, you know, also just continuing to push forward the appreciation of the model that we do have here in the United States in North America so, you know, in our nation's early history, what it comes down to is there, obviously, with every nation, we're all figuring things out as history progresses, right? But there wasn't a framework or any type of um, regulation on it. So, of course, people were just like hunting and fishing because that's what people do, especially back then. Um, and so, of course habitat and numbers started to decrease, um, which is why um, people stepped in and were like, okay, we got to put some protections around this. That's that's the bare bones summation of how we got to the this part of the model and why we here, we're, we're here today. But what I love is that, um, you know, there are places in the world where 
hunting and fishing and and wildlife is not considered a public resource. So as a lawyer, I'm taught to really parse apart words and pay attention to what's put into the legislation and the history of legislation and why certain words are there, right? Well, the fact that our country considers wildlife a public resource is a big deal. Well, what does that mean? It means that our government understands its role in protecting and helping manage and, um, helping put a framework there so the resources aren't exhausted but they all but there's a a consideration that wait no this still belongs to the public so how can we work with the public to ensure that they can recreate and enjoy responsibly and so the dnr is a large part of that framework and so for people to understand not only do we recognize that wildlife is a public resource and that it is managed by government but we also have this very extensive framework state by state by state put into place careers you know um that's one thing that we always want to highlight um careers and people who dedicate their lives to making sure that um that that our wildlife and our lands and our waters are here for generations to come and dnr is a huge part of that so this conversation um was just really cool to hear her perspective to hear her thoughts um so we're really excited about it um and I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. I think so. I think so. Um, so throughout that, um, at the end, I'll, I'll wrap this up by saying um, you can find more about Diana in the show notes um, where we posted actually a book reference that she mentions in this episode. In addition to the virtual guided hike. Seth's Fresh Mountain with Diana. This cool really, a really cool idea. Yeah, yeah. Their department, um, uh, just in response, in response to COVID and just the general idea of giving people access that that may not, they've been doing virtual guided hikes. How cool is that? Yeah, I I think that is an incredible way to use technology. You know, in a really positive way. Um, so anywho. You uh, you guys stay tuned. This is an episode again of the Our Outside podcast, um, connecting through diversity with Diana Prestigiacomo of the South Carolina DNR. Guys, stay tuned. All right, folks, this is another episode of the Our Outside podcast with my co-host and beautiful wife, Ashley Smith. Hi, everybody. All right. And we have a guest from the South Carolina DNR, and I'm trying not to butcher your last name. Uh, (laughs) So, matter of fact, how about I let you introduce yourself? Let's do that. (laughs) <laughs> no problem. And, you know, I always joke around um, with people whenever they ask me, you know, I married my husband and so it's his last name and I'm always like, I don't know if I say it right. So it's okay. <laughs> so my name is Diana Prestigiacomo. Okay. Is that Italian, that last name? Yeah. It is. Okay. Yes. All right. So um, your husband's yes, obviously yes. Italian. My husband is Italian. His grandparents actually. So it's like very closely related to Italy as well came over. Wow, so. what part of Italy? Yeah. He he his family is from Palermo, Italy, which mm-hmm. is in Sicily. Ooh. So Fancy, uh European. Yeah, you got you got you got some of the uh, one of my favorite movies, The Godfather going on right there. I need <laughs> yeah. to be careful what I'm yes. saying on this phone. 
<laughs> right? No, I'm just kidding. He himself would just describe him because they like moved over to New yeah. York actually is where his family's at. So he would just describe himself as like very much just a New Yorker and like not, you know, very typical yeah. guy. Yeah. Now, have y'all ever been to Italy? I so my parents are uh, okay. military, um, so I was actually lived most of my life in Germany, um, just because that's where they were stationed. And um, so I've been to Italy a lot because we would travel all over Europe. Um, but that was obviously before I met him or knew him at all. Um, but he himself, I think, I don't think he himself has ever been to Italy, but um, I believe his parents have. Okay. Awesome. No, I um I have quite the love of Europe. I love Italy. I love. I spent some time in Spain. I I speak Spanish fluently. Like, and I'm just like literally obsessed. I have the love. Well, he yes. does know, but because I send him like Instagram stuff all the time. But I have a total like European like excursion in form for us at one point in time. So yeah. But that's awesome. So that's good to know a bit about your your last name and a bit about your background. Um, can you tell us more about just who you are and what the outdoors means to you? Yeah, so I am the diversity outreach coordinator for South Carolina Department of Natural Resources. Um, and I work in the diversity outreach program for SCDNR. And so what we do is essentially catering to African American and Hispanic audiences in South Carolina to encourage outdoor recreation in underrepresented groups that don't have the same uh, level of accesses or representation in the outdoors. Um, my relationship with the outdoors actually came along um, in a roundabout way. My dad is a good old Southern black man who was born in the 40s <laughs> and, um, and from Alabama and experienced a lot of yeah. um, some of his original oppression in the outdoor spaces. And so he was very against my sister and I being in the outdoors that was really? not allowed. Yeah. <laughs> Even now in adulthood, if I, um, cause we actually moved to South Carolina from my husband and I from Colorado. So when he would visit us in Colorado, he, and I would try to show him parks that we worked at, he would just be like, no, I can just see from the car, you know, like even now he's very hands off with the outdoors. Yeah. So really? we were not really allowed outdoors. Um, and then in adulthood, when I graduated college, it was just kind of like, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life after school. And um, the National Park Service had a pathways program that essentially I could go and intern for a few months in the National Park Service to figure out if that's a career I'd be interested in. And it was a three month seasonal position that turned into a three year career wow. for me. Wow. And I just in adulthood, later in life, discovered hiking, discovered being in the outdoors, discovered that I had a passion for the outdoors. And then I started to see some of those um, inequities in audiences that engage in the outdoors and um, an overall theme that Black people and, and other people of color are not getting the same access to the outdoors. Um, and then I started to kind of be interested in that as a career path. And so I went from the National Park Service to working a little bit in education out in Colorado. And then I just kind of, through my networking, had found out about this position in South Carolina. And being a military brat, I'm not opposed to moving. <laughs> so it just kind of worked out. We were like, okay, well, to see where adventure takes us. And so um, I moved to South Carolina for this position, actually, uh, this past, or 
last okay. July. Okay. You yeah. know, I think one of the things we like to discuss is like, you know, I, I think this whole idea around diversity, equity, and inclusion, especially for um, for people who are not of color, a, a question that you know, comes to mind a lot is, well, what does this actually have to do with the outdoors? And I think your example of um, having a father who was military, but still had resistance and hesitation, not only from a personal standpoint with his interaction with the outdoors, but also not feeling like it was a safe place for his, for his babies, for his children. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, can you, can you talk a bit about, um, why you feel diversity, equity, inclusion is so important? Well, it, it's a, it's interesting that you asked me that question because I was actually a part of a kind of a conversation earlier today about diversity, equity, inclusion in the outdoors. And something that I think South Carolina realized this recently as well, um, more and more the trends of the United States are showing that people of color are becoming no longer the minority, but the majority as trends continue. And what that means is that population of people that weren't included in the outdoors are starting to not care about the outdoors, Mm -hmm. right? They're starting to, you know, we're starting to see less and less fishing and hunting sales, less and less people recreating, less and less audiences engaging in the outdoors the way they did. Now, 2020, obviously, we saw a big boost, (laughs) but then even our trends now in 2021 and then going into 2022, we're realizing that that's starting to plummet now that things are opening back up. So I think the reason that diversity, equity, and inclusion is so important when thinking about the outdoors is because that is the future, right? The future is becoming more and more and more diverse. And if the future does not care about the outdoors because the outdoors did not care about them, then eventually these spaces and these public lands that we care about are not going to be valued. They're not going to be considered in future legislations, future um, political figures. It's not going to become an important topic or important discussion. So I think that's that overall, that's probably the major theme is thinking about the including those audiences that aren't represented currently, because soon the original, the older audience is going to be phased out completely. And then who's going to be fighting for these spaces? Well, and I, I, I want to pair that with, um, you know, certain priorities like accomplishments that like for the, the land and water conservation act, right? Like that was a huge accomplishment Mm -hmm. to have that much money dedicated. So, and, but, you, you have to understand, like, those were outdoorsmen and outdoors women that right. fought for that to happen. And if we don't value mm-hmm. those spaces as a collective, like, that, you don't have that, that, that strength in numbers kind of, you know, situation. And in yes. the Land and Water Conservation Act, I mean, that there is, is one of the things that we absolutely needed in this space. So now it's kind of like, all right, now that we got it, well, why can't we bring more people to the table to learn more about why that's important? Yeah. Yeah. And I think people have to understand too, that, you know, we're learning together, right? Like all of us that are blessed to be in these positions, you working for DNR and everything that we do. And as we move forward and we're all doing our individual work and we're all working towards a collective goal, we're developing different skills and different intelligences as human beings. And inclusive intelligence, I believe, is 
um, what we are tasked with learning right now as human beings in this era. And so I always like to touch upon it um, in our episode because it just, it illustrates itself in different ways. Like, like I said, you have this, this, this military man who fought for our country and is brave and put his life on the line for our freedom, but still didn't feel safe in the outdoors in his own home. Still didn't feel safe enough to let his children play in the outdoors in his own home. And so I think those examples are so important so that people really get it, right? It's not, mm-hmm. it's, it's not like this fluff stuff. They're real stories behind those things and why these um, apprehensions and um, skepticism, why these things exist and how we must work together as an inclusive table. And that that's everyone. That's not just minorities. That's white people. That's majorities. That's, I don't care who you are. How can we come together to enjoy the space that we have the blessing and the ability to enjoy here in the United States of America. Everyone's access to public land and waters is not like that mm-hmm. across the world. Um, so how can we come together to enjoy it and protect it? So I just thought that was just a fantastic illustration of why all that's important. So thank you for sharing that. Of course. So of course. let me ask you this. When we talk about just, you know, enjoying these spaces and things like that, we got to get people outside. I mean, let's, mm-hmm. let's talk about what's outside. Right. Um, mm-hmm. how much public land access and WMA's wildlife management areas are available for hunting and fishing um, for folks to use and recreate on? So with um, SCDNR, we have about 1.1 million acres wow. of WMA land um, for hunting access. And of that, 925,000 is fishing access as well. Um, so there's quite a bit and South Carolina is unique, um, because it has, has the uplands with the mountains. It has the coast, it has the low country. It's gorgeous and a very diverse state. Um, but yeah, so we are quoted right now at 1.1 million acres WMA land. Um, and that, and that's not the only kind of land that, um, SCDNR manages. We also have heritage preserves, which isn't accounted for in that number. Um, and those are those, um, public lands that house a natural or cultural resource that the government or the state government decide is needs to be protective. So it's not, um, open to hunting year round, but sometimes there is seasons for hunting in those certain locations, especially if they're buddied with the WMA, um, so, so they're just, it's mm-hmm. vast. It's vast capabilities for sure. I, I enjoy South Carolina on the upland end, you know, I, that's kind of my ball, yeah. my, my ball game. But what I did notice is, you know, in, in the various types of hunting, me even being out there, I went from grouse hunting to quail hunting or, or looking for quail. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's a big transition, mm-hmm. you know, in South yeah. Carolina, Oh yeah. you know, allows that, right? Like, you get mm-hmm. like I wonder, and you're you're you you were out in Colorado, so this probably sounds like a joke, but for us Southerners, like you know, having a lot of <laughs> options is a thing. But um, you, you know, I I wonder how many different op- how many people realize down here how much diversity, like outdoor diversity, you know, um, biological and ecological diversity goes on, and that you have available in South Carolina. How many different ways can you honestly go learn to hunt? Right, right. It's it's so vast here. It's it's um even just so I've also been um 
really familiarizing me myself with the mm-hmm. angling aspect as well. And um, I was speaking with our aquatic education team and they were talking about how you can even just going on the diversity of the state, fly fishing in the native brook trout and mountains and um, some of the bass fishing tournaments that they have here. I mean, it is so diverse and, and there's so many ways. And, and I was even learning, um, speaking to some of the history of South Carolina and hunting as well. Um, I was even, I spoke with some of oh, our Oh, so you know this, so this was where this so was going, know. right? <laughs> I wanted to know. I just wanted to make sure I knew. Oh, girl, be so excited. <laughs> For <right>? sure. <laughs> but speaking to the point of um, how many ways you can learn to hunt, you know, um, two of the most important literary figures that came out of South Carolina is Henry Davis, as well as have yep, That's my guy right and, there. And, um, that's my guy. Yeah, yes. Yes. <laughs> Talking about American wild Turkey, you know, um, and they also kind of set the stage today for wild Turkey hunting quail and general upland hunting in general, um, through their literary works and properly describing why it's important to protect these spaces and they were some of the first figures to do that they were um, no 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 let's let's continue yeah. this now uh, <laughs> it, it was funny um you know years ago when i started reading babcock i left the uh my health mm-hmm. is better in november book on the table um on the kitchen table it's incredible book mm-hmm. and one of my my yeah. to this day one of my favorites he he makes a lot of jokes about pointers you know because he had them and he makes a lot of jokes about them and it's, it's funny but Ashley was like what is this book she was like actually this kind of makes me want to get out there with you hunt just the title alone she was uh, yeah I said the title itself was extremely intriguing it is I mean my health is better in November like I remember saying that to him I was like oh that's that is a very dope title and it is it is mm-hmm. so Oh, yeah. You know, all right. So since we talk in history, since we want to go down this rabbit hole, <laughs> you, you have you have you, you, you struck the right match over here. So um, <laughs> let's let's talk about some of that. But I really, you know, I, I kind of because we can talk about a lot of South Carolina history in 50 million different ways. Oh, my gosh. It's yeah. a lot. So let's let's zero in on a particular part of South Carolina, um, the low country. I think that. African-American history is so heavily intersected with the low country of South Carolina. And I really want to pick your brain on that. Yeah. So I recently familiarized myself with, I know this is a Georgian author, um, Mark Mm -hmm. A. Stewart, Mm -hmm. familiarized myself with his work um, about Africanized landscape, which is how he describes the Georgia landscape as well as the low country of South Carolina. And what that means is that it took the skills and knowledge from West African people that came here, that were brought here as slaves. Um, it took their skills and knowledge to be able to make this land settle at all for, for people to be able to settle here. The Europeans, the white Europeans, they did not know, they didn't know how to manage this land. And so it is through the backs of slaves and the West African knowledge and skills that really developed the land that we live on in the low country of South Carolina today. Um, and so, and he, he references that in the book and I had to write it down because I wanted to make sure I said it right. It was what nature suffers to grow life, labor, and landscape on the Georgia coast, eight, uh, 1680 to 1920. Oh, can you um, say that again? Okay. Yeah. So what nature suffers to grow 
Life, Labor, and Landscape on the Georgia Coast, 1680 to 1920. He writes in that book describing, and he references Georgia and the Western Africanized landscape and low country of South Carolina. And I think he also speaks to parts of Florida as well, um, where it was these floodplains, these swamp areas that were inaccessible to European settlers. So it took that African knowledge so what's, that's why it's referred to as Africanized landscape. And that also really set the stage for what we have now, which is the Gullah Geechee mm. Nation. Right. If yeah. you guys are familiar. Oh, you know, yeah. we know about so, it um, here. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, and so if people like them, um, who are some of the, you know, most notable communities for, for the fishing aspect as well, um, and still you continue to hold fishing as one of their most important activities. So, um, yeah. yeah. The low country of South Carolina, I think, is 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 underrated. Really? I feel like even South Carolinians <laughs> don't sometimes realize really? how yeah. important it is. You know, because I think a yeah. lot of folk people focus on mm-hmm. upland hunting and, and upland mm-hmm. recreation, which I'm I'm prone to as well because be, coming from Colorado, my husband and I are rock climbers. Really, so we spend oh, a lot of our cool. recreational time. Oh, we'll yeah. have to talk about yeah. rock climbing. We won't. We won't. Yeah. We won't make it happen here because it's gonna. I know because. Oh yeah. But we'll have yeah. to have like a sidebar about that. Oh, Super for sure. Dope. Yeah. Yes, because we I could go on all day about oh, it. So we'll have to side yeah. obviously. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> yes, but but that's why what I mean by when I say underrated is I think that a lot of folks focus on that mountainous upland portion of the state and 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 I know in Georgia as well as opposed to thinking of the low country because it's it's not the most easy landscape to navigate. But like you were saying with that black culture, it it's an Africanized yeah. landscape. It's. It, it was settled on the backs of slaves. So. Well, uh, go ahead, Ashley. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, um, I, I love the point that you made about um, their knowledge, right? And I think also that it just goes back to inclusivity and why it's important for everyone to have a say and be at the table. Like there are, there's, there's certain knowledge that's passed down through different cultures um, and different people that will allow us to just come up with better solutions. So I love that you not only referred to the physical labor, but just the knowledge, because I mean, someone has to know, literally know what to do and know how to do it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that um, as a whole, as we continue to have these conversations that we have to make note of that so people can understand the value around um, the different um, knowledge that exists within, within different ethnicities and within different cultures and how that comes together to create create a reality, create solutions, create, um, create spaces for us all to enjoy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Definitely. And that, I mean, that, and that go, that education, like for me, it goes deep. Like people were, I've, I've had a lot of folks ask, well, what, you know, how do we educate, you know, more black and brown people to get into the outdoors? Like, how do we make it, you know, just as important for them? And I'm like, well, let's start with talking about figures that look like us there. Let's just start there. Let's start with our history and, 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 and let's talk about how we got here and let's talk about how we've been proficient. Like you said, there was a whole, mm-hmm. the low country Africanized landscape, like we've had to be proficient, you know, for hundreds of years at this point in time, yeah. you know, so like that's oh, how yeah. you make it, you know, important and that's how you make it relevant. Cutting Edge Research, by some of the brightest scientific minds, is conducted daily in their state-of-the-art pet health and nutrition center. 
Dog food trends come and go, but for a half a century, Yukonuba has focused on next level quality driven by science. Add in relationships with top trainers, breeders, and industry partners, and the extraordinary potential inside every dog is unleashed. At Yukonuba, we put your dog's health and performance first. Learn more at www.yukonubasportingdog.com. So look, I um I want to kind of go into some of the successes or the, or the challenges mm-hmm. that uh, South Carolina DNR has had, you know, making more minorities aware of what we have available out there in public land and so on and so forth. Yeah, so um, in the diversity outreach program, which I work in, um, some of our greatest successes come from getting out into the community. So boots on the ground, getting out, doing the work, right? Meeting with public figures, meeting with um, people in these communities. So we go to, for example, in 2019, we went to in Richland County, they had a Black History Month festival and we go, we set up tables, we chat with folks. Um, You know, we go to Earth Day events up in the upstate, you know, we go all, we cover the entire state. Um, going to events and festivals going on in the community and and utilize that time and space to educate diverse audiences on public land usage. Now, our greatest success definitely comes from working with schools and youth. Um, So, for example, we will um, go to schools and give programs. Um, This, I keep wanting to say this year, which I keep thinking it's 2021 still. It's 2022 now. <laughs> but um it's a while. so last year. <laughs> last year yeah. we went to um the STEM festival being hosted by USC and Aiken oh, where wow. we were able to, you know, reach students even from Georgia actually because of of the how close they could come over. Right. Um and spread awareness about opportunities in the outdoors to kids. For example, SCDNR has um Take One, Make One, which is a hunting mentorship for kids, free access for kids who don't have the opportunity to get out in the outdoors and learn to hunt um, through a family member. It's called Telmo. Um, And and just spreading awareness regarding those programs. So some of our greatest retention certainly comes from working with kids and getting out into the community. Um, Obviously, challenges that pandemic (laughs) that came in and that while we did see an uptake in licensing sales for the African-American community, definitely for fishing and hunting, it all started to go downhill once 2021 came along because things were opening up and that was put put back on the back burner. So that was a challenge there, Um, a challenge that in the diversity outreach program we see a lot um, is some resistance just being a representative of state government, of a government agency, just folks who maybe are resistant to hearing about that, especially from the Latinx population, um, who when once we bring up law enforcement, sometimes that law enforcement uniform isn't seen as a friendly face. Um, And and even with the African-American community as well, we get run into that. So sometimes we get shut down maybe almost immediately when we start these important conversations. So kind of part of our program and what we're working towards in 2022 is kind of working to change the narrative a little bit around what DNR is and what, you know, because it's more than just law enforcement. There's a lot to what we offer. There's different, there's diversity, there's 
biologists, there's climatologists, there's, there's so much that happens. There's coordinators such as myself, there's marketing. And I think that we're just slowly helping the, the agency itself kind of change its narrative a little bit for with sure. how it's perceived. For sure. I think that's so important. And, you know, I always, I, I like to, to break it down because I think sometimes people just need to hear, tell them what DNR does, just tell them you know, talk a bit about what DNR does and how important the role DNR plays. How important is that? Because I think people think they know and we throw these, you know, we throw acronyms around and we're like, oh yeah, but I think it's important for people to hear. So tell us exactly, what does DNR do? DNR, Department of Natural Resources, is the biggest um, advocate for conservation within its state. And each state has its own form of DNR, right? Right. But at SCDNR, we work to conserve and preserve these lands for future generations and the enjoyment of future generations for the outdoor spaces. So whether that be prescribed burning, where we have our firefighters get out into the field and burn trees to spread diverse ecology for future hunting efforts, whether that be our law enforcement officers working with youth to teach them how to fish, teach them how to hunt, whether that be our social media team showcasing some enjoyment in the outdoors and showcasing South Carolinians getting out into the public, whether that be biologists getting to study sea turtles and hang out on the coast, whether that be historians working in heritage preserves and and archaeologists discovering great pieces of our past out in the field as well. Um, there are so many different job opportunities. There's so many facets of DNR that kind of the overall umbrella of it is focusing on conserving and preserving public lands for the enjoyment of all. Right. Right. Um, and and free access to public lands and um, well, free access through, you know, through a state agency as it, as much as it can be and and opening up to the public to enjoy why these spaces are important. It took the themes of literary figures from the past and folks from the past who recognize the importance of preserving and conserving and and taught us that we need to continue that mission now right that's kind of like my best like (laughs) elevator pitch but but i think it's important to break it down sometimes like i think we get so caught up in conversation that we don't really realize like you know how cool it is that you know that that we have government resources dedicated to preserving and um and protecting um our natural resources so that they're here. Like that's how much, um, how much that our government, our structures care about making sure it's here. Um, so I think it's important to have those, those conversations. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. So when we talk about access first, I, I got one question that'll lead into a much deeper nerdy geekier kind of question that I got for you. Um, but let's, let's talk about the demographic use of, of, of these lands anyway, like demographically who's using what in the outdoors. So I thought a lot about this. Um, so in a technical sense, DNR does not track any demographic information of public land usage. What we do have, you know, WMA permits, but that's not really good representation because 
anybody can frequent. You really only need WMA permit to go right. hunting if you're just going there to recreate in form of hiking or kayaking or biking or whatever. You, we're not getting data from that. So, but what we do is we do track licensing sales, right? And um, we track demographic information like from that. And um, we utilize that partnered with Census Bureau data for the state. So for example, we'll get a map of the state broken up into counties and demographic information of those counties. And that's, for example, Richland County, which is where Columbia, South Carolina is, has about a 50% black population. So we'll utilize that information and then we'll utilize the licensing sales information together to kind of pinpoint exactly where we want to put our tools and resources as far as reaching and connecting the community. Um, so yeah, we, we I will say as an agency, we can do a bit better job because I, I, I coming from the National Park Service, for example, I do know how where that it's possible to be able to track that information. Um, but I think as an agency, we could do a better job of tracking and obtaining that demographic data to know where to put our resources and to know where to put our emphasis. But we use separate tools okay. and kind of combine it okay. together. Okay, <laughs> kind of like a MacGyver for like data and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, so knowing that and, and knowing what you guys have capable. All right, I went down like a... Mm-hmm rabbit hole that I've kind of been on for a while and it's really helped me and I guess inform some of my own initiatives and efforts and 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 you know kind of help define the why for me um and I sent it to Ashley and I think she even thought it was kind of um pretty informative you know I I, I nerd about out about all this stuff all night and then wake up and send it to her in the morning and she's like oh shoot this is kind of cool um and don't get any sleep thinking about you know, conservation and getting more people out. Well, anyway, <laughs> ran into this article. Um, it was it was titled uh, Sprawling and Diverse, uh, the Changing U.S. Population and Implications for Public Lands in the 21st Century. And I wanted to think about some of the implications that were listed um, regarding minority participation in the outdoors. I highlighted one of those, impl- uh, two actually, of those Im- implications. Um, and I'm going to just quote it. Okay, because I thought this particular sure. quote was interesting. The first one says, "Growing and redistribute, uh, redistributing minority populations alter opportunities for public land use, impose new challenges and opportunities for public land managers tasked with maintaining access um, and relevance for an increasingly diverse potential user base." Um, wh- have you found that to be true? Let's start there. Has it? Has has it? Is that a true statement? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, um, I think that we we see that challenge regularly um, with our with the population growth in general. And then um, I, I would say so. I would say that that's a true statement. I say that um, we in the diversity outreach program are trying to kind of shift to, to cater to that as we can, where, where we bring our events and programs and our awareness to where people are um, and using the data that we have access to to make those decisions. I So I don't know. What I would say is it's a conscious part of the job. It's something you're very hyper aware of and you look for if you're doing the job well, for okay. sure. Okay. I like that. Yeah. I. That's something that like, I'm always aware of like, well, Ashley and I'll be sitting in, you know, various meetings with different people and 
Mm-hmm. It won't oppose solutions, you know, for, you know, different things like climate change and, and outdoor activity and access. And it just all seems very, like, rural-centric, if that makes sense. Like, a lot yeah. of that emphasis is there. And, like, a lot of our communities are not out there anymore. A lot of us are, but a right. lot more of us are not. Right. And so I, I have to ask, like, yo, are you guys thinking about the people that are still closer to the city? You know, because yeah. outdoor activity, there, there are still green spaces that we still ha- are responsible for in our cities. Mm-hmm. I think South Carolina um, is kind of a good representation of that diverse landscape that we were talking about earlier. And I say that because, for example, there's um, Congaree Creek Heritage Preserve is three miles from downtown Columbia, right? So there, there's there's open spaces that you can find in public areas as well. And what we do in the diversity outreach program, so for example, we want to do a guided hike there or something, but there's not going to be like necessarily easy access to get there just because you have to consider transportation to these places. So what we do is we try to tailor our programs in a way that have free shuttling services to get folks to the, the resource. Um, So that's why I say, if you're doing the job, well, you are thinking about it and you're thinking about the solutions behind it to, you know, because you're right. There's so many urban people that want to be able to recreate and still have the right and still deserve to recreate. Um, and we're not in those rural communities anymore. And it, and it seems like rural communities are the advantageous when it comes to access to right. land right, and recre- outdoor recreation. Absolutely. I mean, that was, that was something that I think about, like I, I, I'm a, I'm a teacher um, and, and as, as a blessing, you know, to be able to continue to do this work and, um, you know, we're, I'm leaving that profession at the end of this school year. And, you know, I kind of think about that exit and I'm like, man, you know, over the seven years that I've been a teacher, four of those years, I've worked with a lot of underprivileged kids and a lot of shoot, a lot of adults, their parents and stuff like that. And, right, you know, I'll, I'll do that and then leave work at, three o'clock and drive maybe an hour. And this is here in Georgia, but I'm sure it's probably similar in South Carolina. I'll, I'll leave work and drive maybe an hour, you know, pack myself in the morning and, and, and go out for an hour. Mm-hmm. And I hit a WMA right outside of the city. And I was like, man, you know, I can at least kind of mosey around for a couple hours before the sun goes down. And right. I wonder how many of us think about, okay, man, like this is where you can go. You don't always have to go to, you know, somewhere indoors or anything like that. Um, and so that's just always a thought, like how much, how, how, you know, as population grows and stuff and, and, and more people move into the city, like what are we doing to keep them outside? So the next part of that article um, that I, that I, I had here, in my notes to highlight, you know, states that minority population dis- uh, distribution uh, relative to public lands is a key factor in determining rates of public land use for uh, use by minorities. This underscores the importance of understanding the distribution, migration, and growth of racial and ethnic minorities between and among groups. And I just think that piece there kind of supported, mm-hmm. you know, what you said as, yes. as far as it being there. And I thought that was really interesting. Yes. And I think, I think we run into that a lot too, where um, outdoor spaces is not the first thing you're going to think of when you're 
thinking of your free time after work, especially when you're used to your urban community that you maybe live in. Um, and I think just because um, something that you had said, it kind of made me think of this, what, what you what you had said about um, how many people are thinking about like, you know, they don't have to go somewhere indoors or they can go and enjoy their time outside and what we're doing to kind of spread that message. And I think what we've learned, at least in the diversity outreach program from the pandemic is the bringing that virtual piece into the conversation. So for example, um, I just did a virtual guided hike um, at Sassafras Mountain um, that we posted to our YouTube, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Something educational that people can see and see this hike and think to themselves like, oh, maybe I don't live so far from there or, oh, this is a really cool place. I want to go oh. there this weekend. So talk to me about the, a virtual guided hike. Like what does that look <laughs> like? Yes. Yeah, so it's a, the idea is that you're as the viewer and you log in to to observe it. You're it would be we treat it as if you were on the hike with us, where we tell you about the trail, wow. we tell you what That's to bring really um, on the hike, and then you know you're following behind me. The camera's following behind me on the hike, and and then I stop to point out the things we see, um, historical relevance of the public land that we're on. And just things I would talk about on the program uh, or in, if it were an in-person opportunity and, and we do that or we've just recently, this is a new thing. We just did our first one and just posted it um, because we were like, okay, how do we bring the outdoors to people who can't get to the outdoor space? Maybe on this day that we're holding the hike, but they still want to participate. And then ideally they would watch the video and think, I want to go there and see it for myself and feel it for myself and breathe in that air myself. So, so yeah, that's, that's just, the idea, idea. is like really a cool. come along with me kind of thing. That's cool. You have to let us know when the next one yeah. is. Yeah. We can yes, tune yes, yes. in from Georgia. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I mean, yeah, that's uh, this one, the um, it's called Sass. It's just on our YouTube channel. Um, and our YouTube channel is called, um, I wrote it down just to make sure that I say it right. <laughs> um, exploring South Carolina's outdoors. Okay. Okay. I like that. Um, and we also, in the diversity outreach program, we try to do uh, recipes that are inspired by nice. um, either South Carolinians or outdoor recipes. Yeah. Um, we're not like master chefs or yeah. anything, but you will find on that channel, like little recipes we've been doing each month to kind of, you know, just fun viewership, a different th way of thinking for the outdoors. Cause our whole, what we're trying to do in this program is show people they don't have to recreate in one specific way and sh connect people to outdoor recreation in a way they may not have thought of, you know, some like my dad, for example, he thinks of outdoors. He thinks of woods and trees and that somebody's there to hurt him. Right. And we're just trying to slowly change that narrative in little incremental pieces that will create a positive and uplifting experience when you consider the outdoors. Awesome. Well, I, I, I just think that's really great. And I want to make sure in the show notes for this episode that I post, you know, that link. So I'll go in and, and find it and, sure. and pull the link out of there for you. I can, uh, yeah, I'll make sure to send you um, all of our good okay. links. All right. <laughs> all of our things. That's cool. Well, I, I'm, I'm excited to see that. And that's a really cool idea for all the people that, yeah. like, scream that technology and outdoors don't go together. Like, no, this is 
that's how we that's what it's for. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's a really dope bridge idea. the gap. Mm-hmm. Bridge the gap. That's a dope idea. I mean, and even if you can think about, I mean, you never know who that type of content reaches, right? Like right. What if like you said, what if I just can't get there? What if like I have COVID and I would just it it just brighten my day mm-hmm. to go along on a hike or you know, whatever it could be, you yeah. know, for whatever reason you can't get there. Like I think that's really cool. That's cool. So look, I'm as we come to the conclusion of this podcast, um, I got two last questions for you that kind of, you know, of run into the same, I guess, sentence or whatever. Um, first, I want to know how we, as, as you know, hunters and anglers, um, connect more with our state and local DNR. Um, you know. You've stated some of the misconceptions earlier, so I want to know how do we get more people to to connect authentically with you guys. And and in another sentence, like what educational or career opportunities are available since we're talking about connection? Yes, I'm super, super glad you asked me this question. (laughs) Um, As far as what hunters and anglers can do to support their local DNRs, um, twofold. Um, One be that mentor. And what I mean by that is get out in these spaces and be that welcoming voice. When you see somebody else recreating in the same space as you, be kind, be nice, show them the ropes. You see them doing something wrong, maybe say something in a kind and respectful way um, so that you can kind of spread this narrative that conservation is a good thing, good people here. And that supports your local DNR by, you know, saving that person from having maybe a misfortunate interaction later. And then, you know, they, they do want to continue to recreate these spaces. Second thing is I highly support volunteer efforts with DNR. So for example, at SCDNR, we do um, fishing rodeos and fishing clinics where we get the public out to fish with us. And we heavily depend on volunteer fishing instructors to do that. And it's free to do. You just sign up for a Saturday afternoon to learn how to become a certified fishing instructor. And then we invite you to come to fishing clinics and rodeos and you get to, you know, fish and and teach other people how to fish. And we have the same form of thing for our law enforcement with learning to hunt and volunteer efforts there. So definitely reach out or utilize your local DNR's website um, to find out how you can volunteer and continue to be that mentor and that supportive voice and that representation um, that the public needs um, to support those efforts. Um, as far as outreach or opportunities, career opportunities with SCDNR or with DNRs in general, I always suggest just check out what your local DNR is doing. Um, with our DNR, we are um, we just changed the uh, requirements for our law enforcement. So I would strongly suggest checking out the DNR website to look into what it required to come and work in the law enforcement side. And then also just continually checking your governmentjobs.gov forward slash the state you're in, yep. right? And seeing what opportunities are there because we are constantly hiring wildlife technicians. We're constantly hiring um, outreach and marketing positions as well as that law enforcement as well. So those are some of the kind of opportunities that we have Um across the United States and in various outdoor fields as well. And um, as far as what we're doing in the educational outreach side, we are always open to, we actually have a few guided hikes coming up in the spring. 
summer we do field days where we um, we teach people how to go kayaking and fishing and all kinds of really fun stuff. So definitely check us out on social media (laughs) and all the things for that. And um, I'll make sure to provide you with all of our links and contact information as well. Yeah. And I guess, you know, what would, how would listeners get in contact with SCDNR? So I would say the best way for your, for SCDNR, depending on the department you're trying to reach, of course, you're going to want to utilize that website. But with the diversity outreach program, we actually have an email. It's called Informacion with the A-C-I-O-N. Informacion Español. In Español. Um, and that's at dnr.sc.gov. You can email us. And you can, if you email us, we can also add you to our monthly newsletter, which is where you find out all the things that we've got going on, all the programs. And if we don't have something going on, what our local partners have going on as well. Awesome. Well, we first, two things before we get off. Um, we will be at Seawee this year. <gasps> Yeah. So we will be there. Um, yeah. We'd love to see yeah. us so, in person, yay. you know? So if you, if you. Yay. So for Siwi, um, we are at Diversity Outreach is actually going to the National Wildlife Viewing and Tourism Academy, which falls on that same ah, weekend. But okay. our aquatic ed team that we work with all the time is going to be at Siwi. Right. Well, okay. we'll look for them. So definitely go say yeah. hi. They were. Um, I'm going to give a shout out to um, Will Munhinky. He was the historian that I worked with that works in aquatic ed okay. um, that helped educate me <laughs> regarding um, Havilah Babcock. So and, I need to get in contact with um, him too Henry now. E. Davis. Yeah. Yes. And he's a huge fan too. So and yes. Yeah. So definitely go say hi to them. Um, but yeah, I definitely look forward to seeing you guys. Yeah. We're going to yeah. make more effort too to, Come to come Georgia, to Georgia yes, and let, let, us, let us take you down. To and, yes. stage of the state champ of the national champions. I don't know if you oh. heard. <laughs> <laughs> the Georgia Bulldogs oh, won the national okay. championship. I just had to stick oh. that in there. I had to stick that in there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm technically from Colorado. Okay, that's, oh, no. <laughs> that's true. Um, you saw Alex, we missed her as well. Of yeah. course. Um, yeah. But, Hopefully, yeah. Alex um, would love the chance to, because she has all of the wealth of knowledge coming from the Latinx community. Okay. She's originally from Columbia, South America, not Columbia, South Carolina, yeah. South America. <laughs> um, and she, you know, is our bilingual professional as well for all of the interpretive. In fact, something really impressive that Alex has been working on for a long time is translating for the first time in South Carolina's history all of the rules and regulations guidebook for the state so that nice. it is available Gosh, completely for our Spanish language thank you. Um, South Carolinians. So um, are folks that come to hunt and fish in South Carolina. So, so she is working on big, amazing things. So we definitely would love to do this again with you guys, with, with her Absolutely. Um, to be able to chat. Let's, 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 let's set perfect. that up again. I love that. Yeah. No, she'll, tell her she, she can't get rid of us. We'll just have to come back and have a, <laughs> have a party again. Yes. Um, yeah. yes. when her, when her schedule permits. So yeah, for absolutely. Well, that is a, that's a fantastic initiative. Um, no, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm a lawyer by trade and, um, I'm bilingual. So I, I speak Spanish and have taught a lot of Spanish classes and stuff over my lifetime. So that, um, that really resonates with me. Um, and yeah. just as a lawyer, when I, t- when I talk to people, I'm like, 
it, it we have to have things in different languages people <laughs> like mm-hmm. we can't expect people to oh, understand yes. and this is just from a broad perspective of being a lawyer but you can't people you can't expect people to understand and be able to interact with um and, and knowing what's right and what's wrong if it's just not even in their language like and then that goes for yeah. access and if we want people to feel invited um into outdoor spaces like having oh, eliminating yes. that language barrier is huge so um just congrats mm-hmm. to you guys i think that's fantastic and i can't yes. wait to see more and hear more mm-hmm. She has been a trailblazer for that initiative. And she's also working on helping with translating the website too. So Oh yeah. We love I'm Alex. She's, that's what that's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. That's fantastic. So, well, Diana, we appreciate it. I I mean, there's so much more yeah. to go. Um, we have to have another in, uh, another podcast with you guys. Um, but just thank you so much and, and we love the state of South Carolina, you know. Yes, we love Yay. we love Charleston. My my little sister goes to the College of Charleston, and so oh, amazing! Yeah, and Darrell actually, um, just for a little uh, factoid to put out there, Darrell like is obsessed with Charleston. Like yes. he yeah. loves Charleston. He loves just I don't why do you just love the food. You love the beach. You just that's uh, a lot of different <laughs> things. Um, yeah, you, you know me, I geek out on like the whole like slave culture thing there, and like mm-hmm. because that was a. a I mean, those West African slaves, that's where they came through. So, you right. know. <laughs> yep. And the Gullah Geechee Nation, yeah. you know, hugs that coast mm-hmm. of, of South Carolina. And and so, yeah, so um, such a wealth of knowledge in the Charleston area. Yeah, yeah a lot of history. Love I mean, it. You can walk past history. <laughs> Literally. Just walk yeah. through it, yeah. You walk through it and you can see it's really, honestly, very interesting. If you're um, near the water, you can see how things happen and where they happen. I mean, there's a lot of markers um, and things if you just walk around and pay attention. Um, Charleston's one of those cities that you can get a history lesson just by walking. Boston's like another one, you know, uh, cities that have Mm -hmm. really kind of preserved their history. So, yeah. Yes. Oh, yes. Totally. Totally. Well, all right. right. I think that's another Ah. episode. Let me hit the the, uh, stop. All right, everybody, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Our Outside podcast. We appreciate it, and we'll see you next time.